high to fairer worlds on high. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. You may be seated. Good morning. So husband and wife, both of them were 85 years old. They've been married for over 60 years. They both were killed in a car accident. And as stories like this go, they go to heaven and they're at the pearly gates and there is Peter. And he says, I want to show you around. And so he takes them and shows them the mansion where they would be living. It was decked out with all of the finest amenities, swimming pool, hot tub, all of those kind of things. And the man asks, what does this cost? And Peter says, well, this is heaven. It's free. He says, okay. And so they go, and now they look at the championship golf course. And it's laid out beautifully, and Peter says, it changes every week to one of the finest golf courses in the world. So you get to play all of them week in, week out. And the man asks, well, what's the green fee? And Peter says, you don't understand. It's, it's free. This is heaven. It doesn't cost anything. And he takes them to the clubhouse and he shows them, you know, the, a lavish buffet. With all the international cuisine. You can eat until you're full. And the man asks again, well, how much does that cost? And Peter says in exasperation, look, it's free. And the man says, well, I can eat anything? And Peter says, yes, I mean, there's, there's anything. And he says, well, you know, I, I live to be 85 mainly because my wife made me eat health food uh, for the last 10 or 20 years, and I never got to enjoy anything. And Peter says, no, there's no, no cholesterol foods or, or low cholesterol food, anything like that. You can eat whatever. And at that, the man took off his hat, slammed it on the ground, began stomping it and yelling at his wife. And, see it. and he said, see, if you hadn't made me eat all those bran muffins and low-fat yogurt, we could have been here 10 years ago. <laughs> do, you, do you anticipate heaven? Do you look forward to heaven? There's a song that came out back in the 70s by John Lennon called Imagine. And part of it went like this. It said, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. You thought I was going to sing that, didn't you? Sorry. How prophetic are those words for this day and time, right? So many people are careening through life without ever giving a thought to heaven or hell, just living life, only living for the moment, only living for today, never really considering the afterlife. According to Barna Research, 80% of Americans believe in, in heaven. If you were to ask that 80%, do they believe that they are going to heaven when they die, the majority of them would say, yes, I think so. But as one Barna researcher pointed out, People's concepts of heaven and hell vary widely. One Barna researcher stated this. He said they're cutting and pasting religious views from a variety of different sources. Television, movies, conversations with their friends. And the result is a highly subjective theology of the afterlife disconnected from the biblical doctrine of heaven. And you know what? I, I think we as Christians might be partly to blame. When you consider that we don't 
talk about heaven enough. And as a result, we don't anticipate heaven. We don't look forward to dying, of course. Many of us, you know, grew up in the church hearing about how we need to strive for heaven and how it's better than hell, but we never really talk much about heaven. Much of people's perception about heaven is shaped by Hollywood or by false perceptions. It's more of their imagination than anything else. And there are many ideas about heaven and what it will be like, but unfortunately, most of those ideas or ideologies are based on fantasy rather than biblical reality. And when we do make a biblical attempt at describing the indescribable, we often just present heaven as some long church service, right? Can I be totally honest with you? Maybe I shouldn't. But I've heard preachers go on and on about how heaven will be a a great worship service in the sky. And I think to myself, that's it? That's all it is? And then I feel bad for thinking that, right? Because I don't, want to hear, I don't want to hear myself preach. You don't even want to hear me preach for that long, right? Not for an eternity. But we don't think about heaven as much. We don't anticipate heaven as much. And when we try to describe heaven, we really come up short. And we often present it as boring or stale even at times. You know who Gary Larson is? Remember the Far Side cartoon? He had this one at one time. I don't know if you can see it really, but it's a guy sitting on a cloud who obviously has died with angel's wings and a halo above his head, and he says, wish I'd have brought a magazine. In our attempts to describe heaven, we often fail to do it justice, partly because we don't really know what we're describing, right? And a lot of times, our descriptions focus more on the debate. We debate premillennialism and the rapture and dispensationalism rather than talking about heaven as predicted or as, as laid out for us in the Bible. Sadly, too many people are living their lives with no vision of heaven or a vision of heaven that is very subpar. Do you think about heaven? Do you long for heaven? I think some of you do. And the reason why I think some of you long for heaven is because, quite honestly, it's not far. It's, it's just a fact that as we grow older and we get closer to the end of our lives here on earth, we think about the afterlife more, don't we? We concentrate on heaven more and preparing more for heaven. You know, in the Roman catacombs, where the bodies of many Christian martyrs are buried, the tombs contain inscriptions kind of like this one. One who lives with God. Or this one, he was taken up into his eternal home. One historian writes this, he says, Pictures on the catacomb walls portray heaven with beautiful landscapes, children playing, and people feasting at banquets. In the third century, the church father Cyprian said, Let us greet the day which assigns each of us to his own home, which snatches us from his place and sets us free from the snares of the world and restores us to paradise and the kingdom. Anyone who has been in foreign lands longs to return to his own native land. We regard paradise as our native land. We know what Paul had to say concerning the subject. He said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ... For that is much better. Philippians 3 and 20, Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven, 
for which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was also Paul who stated, while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We see that Paul and the other early Christians had a very different perspective on living, dying, and the afterlife. Often wonder what Paul would think about our practice of praying for people who were sick or praying for those who are on their deathbed to get well, praying for a miracle. I wonder, I wonder sometimes what Paul would think of that. I don't think he would scold us because it's not wrong to pray for the sick. But we see Paul's perspective on death and dying was very different than what we often assume when it comes to death and dying. We, we look at it as the worst possible fate for mankind. It's a doom and gloom event. But people like Paul said, no, I'd rather be there. I'd rather be dead. Because... My home is in heaven, and that's where I want to be ultimately anyway. And so rather than praying for those who are on their deathbed to get well, they'd probably say, let's speed this up. Let's pray for this to, to happen a little quicker because we want to go home. We have a terminal disease, every one of us. The mortality rate is currently 100%. None of us are getting out of here alive. And unless Jesus comes back first, we're all going to die. Worldwide, there are approximately 56,600,000 deaths per year. That works out to about 4.7 million per month, 155,000 per day, 6,500 per hour, 107 per minute, or 1.8 per second. You think about that, 155,000 people each day either go to paradise or to torment david said this he said lord make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days let me know how transient i am in other words remind me that my life is fleeting remind me that i don't have very long that eternity is forever and right now is fleeting Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath, Selah. And remember, Selah means pause. Think about these things. You imagine yourself on a cold day going outside and breathing, and you see your breath for just a, like a second, a millisecond, right? And then it disappears into oblivion. That's your life compared to eternity. It's a vapor. You're only here for a short time. Compared to eternity, our life is simply a blip on the radar screen. And so therefore, there's got to be more, right? There's got to be more that we're longing for, more that we're anticipating than just the here and now. Or you can think about it like this. Imagine that you are an astronaut taking a trip to Mars. And you get strapped into this rocket that's going to take you to Mars and as you blast off and you're hurtling towards Mars, one of your fellow astronauts says, what do you know about Mars? And you say, I don't know. I guess we'll find out when we get there, right? No one would do that in that situation. Now, any astronaut that's heading for Mars is going to do extensive training for many months or years, right? They're going to find out everything they can about Mars so that when they get there, they know how to function. They know, they know what to expect, right? And while we don't know everything there is far from it about heaven, we can do our research. And certainly we need to be doing some extensive training and preparation, right? In 2007, my dear friend Jeff Jenkins 
called me to tell me about a great church in Abilene, Texas that was looking for a preacher. I didn't know where Abilene, Texas was, to be honest with you, and hadn't really much cared up until that point. You see, at, at that moment in my life, it was the fall of 2007, I was a candidate to be the preaching minister in Georgetown, Texas. And I was looking forward to that opportunity. Georgetown seemed like a great place to live, and we were, we were getting ready for maybe the possibility of moving there. One Sunday, I get up to preach, and I notice two strange men in the crowd. It was a smaller congregation, and afterwards, they came up to me. They were the search committee from Georgetown, and we had lunch, and they said, we're going to recommend you to the elders, and uh, we want you to be our preacher. And I thought, okay, here we go. After meeting with the elders, I didn't feel like it was a good fit. They didn't either, and so we, we went our separate ways. Christmas holiday of that year, 2007, my wife is looking on the internet for job openings, job postings in her field, and she says, here's one in Abilene, Texas. I said, well, that's interesting. Jeff Jenkins told me something. I believe it was Abilene, Texas. I said, why don't you call about it? I'll call Jeff and find out more information. And here we are. But you know, before we moved here, before we ever decided to come and work with the church in Abilene, Texas, we did extensive research. We called people in the church here. We talked to folks. Hey, what, what schools? What neighborhoods? You know, what, what's there to do? Is this a great place to raise a family? What about the youth group? What about the makeup of the church? You know, what direction are they heading? All those kind of things. We came down many, many weekends leading up to us moving here to, to look for houses and to, to do some planning. We didn't just pick up and move because we, we didn't want to be here and in six months say, wow, we made a huge mistake. We're going to have to move somewhere else. You plan, you research, you prepare, right? For almost everything in life, you do that. Very few things do you do spontaneously. You prepare for so many things, and we need to be preparing for heaven as well. If you look at John chapter 14, where Eddie read from in our opening, starting in verse 1, it says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. What is heaven? Heaven is a place, and there is plenty of room. It's not a vision, it's not a state of mind, it's not a, a dream, it's a real place, and it's a prepared place for a prepared people. God knows we're coming. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross. When Jesus says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places, I go to prepare a place for you, he deliberately chose physical terms to describe something that was indescribable, right? Things that we can't really fathom with our finite mind, Jesus tried to put in a way that we could understand. So he presents it as a house with rooms and, and, a, and a place because he wanted to give his disciples and us in the process something tangible that we could look forward to, a place where we could go and be with our Father. Look at Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham was looking for heaven. And how is heaven described? It's described as a city, as a place, right? 
But we shouldn't assume that heaven is like Dallas or Chicago. That's not what we should take away from this. Again, the Holy Spirit is trying to give us some idea, trying to help us wrap our finite minds around something that is so glorious and so indescribable that otherwise we could not fathom. We see this in the book of Revelation. In chapter 21, John writes, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And then he takes two chapters to describe it in some of the most beautiful language ever penned. According to Jimmy Jividen, he says, Heaven is depicted as a four-square city. John says it's a 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 mile long, 1,500 mile high cube. It's 3,375,000,000 square mile cube. And the city is made of precious stones. Walls and gates are constructed out of precious gems. And the streets are of gold. Now what if Jesus had said, I go to prepare a desert for you. I go to prepare the Arctic Circle for you. You would think, well, but I can't live in a desert. I can't live in the Arctic Circle. You're going to go to prepare a place somewhere where people can't even live and survive? Heaven is a prepared place. It's been prepared so that we can live there. What we see in this description is a city, a place where many people can live, where there's enough room for anybody and everybody. And while it's not a literal city, heaven is absolutely real. It's a place. It exists right now. It has been prepared but it's not just some normal city. There are some beautiful cities in the world. And some of you have been to them. Some of you have seen many beautiful cities. But of all the beautiful cities that you have visited, no matter how beautiful they are, there is something they all have in common. They all have crime. Even if you didn't see it, crime exists in all the great cities of the world. There are prisons. There are hospitals. There are security guards. There are doctors because people get sick and die in these cities, but not in heaven. Not in this place that we see described. No more pain, no more sorrow, no hurting, no death, no need for security guards because they don't have to keep any bad guys out and they don't have to keep anybody in. You see, heaven is a place where there is nothing less than perfection. It is a restored Eden. And it's a place reserved for you. So where is it? Where is heaven? Well, it seems that heaven is somewhere up there, right? I mean, if you look at John 6 and 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Christ came down, which would imply that he was up somewhere, right? This also means that heaven is, is not on earth. Jesus came down from heaven to earth. And if you look at the model prayer, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, it says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Where is heaven? Well, it's the place where the Father is. And that's the best part of heaven. And you've heard me say that over and over again, and I try to reiterate that every time I do a funeral. The best part of heaven is not the streets of gold or the gates of pearl. The best part of heaven is who is there, and that we get to spend eternity with the Heavenly Father. You can have all that other stuff. And people say, well, when I die, I'm going I'm to ask a bunch of questions. There's some things I just want to know. No, you won't. You will crumble before God in thankfulness and in worship because you are so grateful just to be in his presence and you get to be there for all eternity. Where is heaven? It's where the Father is. And that's the best part. Because I want to be where God is, don't you? 
Remember what we read from Paul a moment ago. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven is where our citizenship is. Try this. Next time someone says, where are you from? Say heaven. I mean, you wouldn't be wrong, would you? This is not our home, but I think so many times we, we have trouble looking forward to heaven or anticipating heaven because we have built heaven right here. We have said, this is my home. This is where I'm living. But Peter says, as Christians, you are aliens and strangers. Your version may use pilgrims or sojourners. We're foreigners. We have a heavenly home reserved for us with a spiritual family. Notice Colossians 3, 1 and following. It says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Where is heaven? It's where your devotions lie. It's where your devotions are. Let me ask you, are you living your life in a way that seeks the approval of heaven? Are you setting your mind on the things above? In other words, this is who I am, this is what I believe, and I'm not changing for anyone. I'm not adapting to some shifting sand of culture because I want to go to heaven. And above all else, I seek the approval of God and the approval of heaven. I want to go there and be with my Heavenly Father for all eternity. I'm drawing a line in the sand, and I'm not going past that line because I want to do God's will so that I can prepare right here, right now, to be with Him for all eternity. You've heard me say it a million times, heaven is won or lost right here, right now. And for those who are lost, for those who are not Christians, earth is the closest they will ever get to heaven. And for those of us who are Christians, this life here on earth is the closest we'll ever get to hell. Think about that. We should be looking for something greater, something bigger, because we're going to spend eternity there. And we often talk about having eternal life. Everyone has eternal life. Everybody. Not everyone in heaven, unfortunately, but we all have eternal life. Where will you spend eternity? Where is heaven? Look at Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is heaven? It's where your treasures are. And I would think that you're going to have a hard time getting to heaven if you haven't stored up some things before you get there. If you have made no preparation, if you have made no plans, you cannot expect to stand before our Lord on the day of judgment and be considered a good and faithful servant. Too many folks are spending all of their time and energy storing up treasures right here on earth. And what happens when you die? You may die a wealthy man. You may die a happy man because you had a lot of stuff. But ultimately, if that's what you're storing up, you die an unprepared man as well. Because you can't take any of it with you. And you're going to leave it behind for someone else anyway. These things have to have their proper place. What will be your fate if you invest everything in this life? I think you're going to realize in the end that you haven't stored up anything in heaven. 
then what? You know, what if we used our resources and our talents and our abilities that we have been blessed with for the kingdom? What if we used our, our money and our finances to support a student at a preacher training school or, or going to Freed Hardeman or Harding or one of our brotherhood schools? What if we did that? Maybe we can't afford too much, but maybe a little bit here and there. What if we used our talents and our abilities to every day spread the gospel, to serve others? What if when we left this earth, we were completely and totally exhausted because we had spent our time and our energy and our resources on what matters most? I've said it before, I want to die in the pulpit. If I could choose, I would die right here in the pulpit, and you better not resuscitate me, right? I want to die here. I want to die preaching the gospel. What if we left this earth totally and completely spent because we'd used it all up for God? Where is heaven? It had better be a place where your treasures are stored because I think you're going to have a hard time getting there if you haven't prepared beforehand. There was a little girl who lost her dad to cancer. And obviously it was devastating for her and her mother. And after the funeral, the little girl, with tears in her eyes, was asking her mother, she said, Mom, where is dad? And the mother said, Daddy's in heaven. And the little girl said, Will we get to see him again? And the mom said, Yes, someday we'll get to go be with him. And so the little girl left the room. She came back with her suitcase. And her mom said, what are you doing? And she said, if we're going to go see Daddy, we've got to be ready. And that is exactly what we're trying to get across this morning. Pack your bags and be ready. We're all born with an expiration date. And you don't know when it's going to come due, but I can guarantee you it will. The mortality rate is currently 100%. Are you prepared? Heaven has been prepared. There is a place for you. Are you ready? And if you're not, then get ready this morning. Whatever you've got to do, whatever that means, if you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, you've been studying, you know what it means to have faith, and that faith move you to repentance, to confessing Jesus as Lord, and you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, then do that this morning. What are you waiting for? Or maybe you've not been living your life in a godly direction. At some point in your life, you put on Christ in baptism, and you veered off the path, and you're ready to return home. You're ready to be who God wants you to be. Maybe you're just new to this whole thing and you're ready to study the Bible with someone. We can do that as well. Don't leave here unprepared. Heaven is ready. Are you ready? Come now as we stand and as we sing. This world is not my 